На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. While we returned last week to get together and record our RPL team of the autumn, football's finally back this week in action as Krasnodar hosts Dinamo Zagreb in their Europa League round of 32 knockout match first leg. Before that, however, we're going to run through the first half of the Finna L season. Joining me this week again is David. Good evening, James. And Richard. Good evening, James. Good evening, Good evening David. How are we all? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad at all. I'm really excited to get into the meat of the action again. And the Finnell itself does actually return on the same weekend as the RPL this season, and that's due to, of course, the revised schedule and as a result of the COVID nineteen pandemic. And after the Finnell Cup was disbanded, most clubs are just a regular spate of winter friendlies during the during the long break. Now games do reconvene in the Finnell at lunchtime on the twenty sixth of this month, month, as the league leaders Nizhny host Krylia in the big game at the top. So to get straight into a little review of the Finnell, there's been quite a lot of transfer updates going on in the, in the long break. Richard, if you would like to run through some of the ones that really stand out for you, some of the big moves. Yeah, um, it's been quite busy. It's actually, you could argue it's actually in the Finnell been more interesting than in um, in the in the RPL for transfers. And uh, there's been some quite interesting moves. Um, striker Dmitry Vorobiev has moved from uh, Volga to Orenburg. Apparently the fee was €100,000. Um, uh, he's been scoring a number of goals for Volgar and um, Orenburg obviously acquired his services. Um, Alexander Noyok, um, a Ukrainian defensive midfielder, has signed from Dinamo Brest to Orenburg on a free transfer. He was part of the Dinamo Brest side that won the um, Belarusian Premier League in 2019. Um, Torpedo Moscow also had a decent window. They, the noteworthy signing is Danila Kozlov, who again left Volga to join Torpedo for a fee of €55,000. Um, one-time player who appeared on a um, Guardian Talent to Watch uh, list, Kirill Kolesnichenko, has signed for Skahabadovsk on loan from Rotor Volgograd. He's still only 21 years of age as well. Uh, Momo Yansane. Yansane, um, a Guinean striker who scored a number of goals in Belarus, has uh, signed for Nishni Novgorod, young forward. Um, also signed for Nishni Novgorod, two other very good signings, in my opinion, for Feniel level in Leo Goglicidze, who had a loan spell, uh, f- uh, sorry, who was playing regularly in the Feniel for, I've forgotten the team he was playing for, uh, Goglicidze, but he was signed by Krasnodar in the January window and then has now been loaned to Nishni Novgorod. They've also signed um, Ilya Berkovsky from Lokomotiv. Lokomotiv originally bought him from um, Torpedo Moscow and now loaned him to Nishi Novgorod. Torpedo won't thank um, Lokomotiv for that because Nishi are a promotion rival for Torpedo, but nonetheless, it's a good buy for, <laughs> um, for Nishni. Um, also interesting is Krasnodar too. They bought a striker from the third-tier PFL, Igor Andreev, a 19-year-old from Nostar. He's... I think he's hit about eight or nine goals for Nostar at that level in the third tier, and he signed for for uh, Krasnodar too. €22,000 uh, fee, apparently. And then two other transfers I want to note is Andrei Nikitin, who was bought by Lokomotiv from Fakel in the Fenio and then loaned back to Fakel for the rest of the season. And finally, a Moldovan uh, winger, um, Marius Yossipoy, who has gone to Vélez Moscow 
um, on loan from Dacia in uh, Moldova. There's some of the names and transfers mm. that I've um, highlighted as being ones to watch. Kolesnichenko returning to Sky is quite an interesting transfer, considering they, well, when they were back in the RPL, they signed him almost immediately after the, the, the Guardian Next Generation was published, without him ever really getting into the Chitanova side. And they only played once on loan before then before then get, yeah, going back to his parent club. But they obviously had seen that as a little bit of a panic and a desperate attempt to try and stay up that season. But long term, he must have in, must have impressed them. And I'd be interested to see how he, how he does get on back at Scar again for the second time. Now, David, do any of these transfers particularly stand out to you? And it does seem like some of the manoeuvring of youngsters is perhaps to get around the l- limit chick issue that's in the FNL now. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was going to mention a few of the ones that Rich brought up. Um, the Kolesnichenko one's a sub-loan, which is really interesting because he's only on, on loan to Rotor from whatever team in Kazakhstan he moved to whenever that was last summer. So I think he's on he's on loan from a club that he's on loan from, uh, <laughs> which is a weird one. The Vorobiev one was <laughs> yeah. a was a strange one because he obviously he, he left Volgov or Orenburg, which are both Gazprom control clubs. So I was always a bit suspicious about that. Um I think uh, yeah, Richard highlighted three three good ones at Nizhny, uh, and also the the fourth signing they've made uh, another Georgian striker, Kvad uh, Taradze. Uh, he was scoring a bunch in in this uh, winter break in the friendlies uh, before he'd signed. So that was a that's a nice pickup there. I think from Nizhny, four strong players to add to the squad to really um, try and boost them towards towards uh, promotion. Torpedo also brought in. Um, Jiga Skolfek from, from Orenburg, the Slovenian midfielder. Um, and we all know he's he's you know, he's a good player. He was playing in the RPL and he was always a solid little player. Um, and I think he'll come into that torpedo team and really just step into that hole um, next to Riazancev and, and become that playmaker sort of, or behind the striker sort of guy uh, to replace Burkowski, which is where he was sort of deployed before he, he went off to Lokomotiv and then back to Nizhny. So that's that. That'll be a great signing, I think. Uh, Scholfek. Um big one in the in the low half of the table was uh, Kuzia Rapayev, uh, vet, veteran striker who was at Tikstulshik Ivanova. Uh, scored a bunch of goals. Just a big classic, classic Russian striker. You know, big bully of a guy, like six foot three, whatever, and just scores scores from crosses and headers for fun. Um, he left and went to Fakel, which um, big. Yeah, big big move there from one relegation rival to another, mm-hmm. uh, and that could really change Fakel's season. They'd had a big big turnaround. They were really struggling, but they ended the season five games without defeat. Ended the first half of the season, so um, I think that'd be a big move there. Um, if we we've seen the sort of the trend of players graduating up to the from the Feniel to the RPL, uh, which has sort of been growing in in the last year or so. Uh, Ramazan Gajmuradov and Artyom Maximenka went from uh, Scar and Velez respectively off to Ural. Uh, both, you know, youngish players, both 23 or less. Um, and I think they'll be really good signings for Ural's front line where they, they've been struggling really to score goals. So that's a nice move. Nice move there. Quite like um, down at Dinamo Bryansk in the relegation zone, they they picked up uh, Jamal Dibigadchev. Uh, if you remember, he, he was the guy who was at Angie once upon a time Played a couple of games in the Premier League, 
and they went off to Portugal and famously scored, I think, five in a game over there or six in a game, something like that. Uh, and in the summer, he was on trial at Torpedo and a host of other FNL clubs because last season in the PFL, he scored about 15 or 16 goals in about 10 games. But no one signed him and he went to Belarus. Um, so he's come back to Dina Rebriansk to replace uh, Maxim Vortinov. Um, and I think that could be a good move. Granted, Dina are really rooted in the in the relegation fight. But um, I'm intrigued to see how that one goes down because he's got the goal scoring pedigree. Um, and I think I think it could be could go well. Uh, the last the last couple I'll mention is just um Irtushomsk lost two of their well, they've lost their captain, uh, Maslovsky, who went to Orenburg. Um and it's rumored that their their striker Sichavoy, who they signed from Crimea uh, in the summer, hmm. um, could also be heading off to Orenburg. He he came in late in the window and scored scored four and assisted four or something some of that, pretty good numbers for a team who are you know were in the relegation fight um, and just crept out of it before the winter. You know Orenburg were were lacking goals in the first half of the season. You know Joel Famier did not do it for them. So um, they brought in Vorobiev, and there's rumours that they're going to go for Sichuvoy as well. So there are two big gaps in the in the Irtish team who have yet to be filled. So um, they they need to try and do something, I think, to to fill those voids uh, before the window closes. Now focus a little bit further down the table in the mid in the mid table one uh, mid table section of the Finnael. Now, one player you mentioned there who has made the jump from the Finnael to the RPL is Artyom Maximenko. Now you, David, have highlighted him quite a few times on the pod and on the website. And for everyone listening out there, if you go onto the onto the site we published yesterday, um, which was Monday, the part five of David's mid-season review of the Finnael. Now, in that review, you mentioned that Velez had been arguably the surprise package of the Finnael season so far. Do you think that Maximenka's move will, and the fact that quite a few of the other Velez players, as the teams been picked apart quite substantially do you think that could really have an impact on Velez's second half of the season yeah it will be interesting to see how how they replace him um Yosipoy, from what I know um we, we've we've had relationship with his agent Yosipoy's agent at RFN so we I had a chat with his agent when I saw the move go through and he said that they're not quite similar players Yosipoy's more of a creative winger who'll cut inside whereas Maximenko was a a striker come wide player who was being put in both positions. Um, there was a, an interview with uh, their manager, Alexis Stukolov, which you shared with me earlier on, James. And he mentioned that he was talking about how important Maximenko was to their, to their setup in some matches. Um, so that will be a big loss. And to say with the uh, Yosipoy, I don't think is necessarily the replacement. Uh, they brought in Prosyakov and Fedchuk as strikers. You know, Fedchuk's a guy who, has had good finial records in the past. Was was in the Premier League last year with Tambov, not really playing on the on the like on the reg. Scored a few goals as I recall. I think he scored a penalty against Spartak for some reason, which is uh, a strange one. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. They they the big other loss they had was their goalkeeper um, Gorodovoy, who was on loan from Rubin. Uh, he jumped across the city, um, no, jumped across the country. Sorry, uh, to join Skakhabarovsk. Um, <laughs> So um, and he he was he was really good for them in the first half of the season. Their two other goalkeepers are quite young. Uh, both have got good records, though have not been on the field during a defeat yet. So um, hopefully one of those two can step up. 
But yeah, Maximenko, it was always on the cards. You know, he was having such a good season. Um, so it was always on the cards that he he could go. Um, and hopefully either the experience of Fedchuk or the raw talent and sort of pace of Proshilikov, who had been on Torpedo's books in the first half of the season and not really done it. Um, you know, hopefully one of those two can can come in and do it well. You know, Fedchuk has got a very young squad, Stukolov, uh, in that interview that you, you shared with me, you know, he, he was talking about the fact that he likes to work with young players and he'd, he'd convinced Maximenko to join Velez as, as a, on the basis of their previous work and the fact that he wanted this young player to, you know, he wanted to give him regular football, which he was not getting at his previous club, which was uh, Nizhny Novgorod. So, um, you know, maybe he can get the best out of Prostyakov, you know, Spartak, um, academy graduate. He's obviously got some talent there to, to have come through that system. So um, you know, maybe it's it's all about finding the right coach to bring it out of you, as we've, we've seen in the past, you know, with guys like Smolov at Ural um, and Maximenko at Velez earlier this season. So may, maybe it'll be the right fit uh, and we have to hope that it, that it is. Yeah, what I really like in that that's, uh, Stukalov interview, which is on counter press for anybody who's trying to find it, um, it's interesting to see how much he finds inspiration in a certain Kurban Bedeev's tactics. He's he's mentioned in in piece that he's he's studied Bedeev's tactics quite a lot. He's been visited by Bedeev and and when he was while well, he was studying for his category A pro license, and despite in spite of the fact that he plays very attacking football, very quite exciting and fast paced, it's very similar to uh, in the interview that she referred that it's very similar to Atalanta's in Syria, uh, just to give an indication of just how attacking football how attacking it is it's really interesting to see how many parallels and how much he has learned from somebody like Badev and it just shows how the Turkmen is held in regards in in footballing circles in the country um it's it's a really good one to to read out and to keep an eye out on on Alexis Dukalov's career because he's still only 37 and he's doing quite an excellent job at Velez but if we move on to what they see essentially the title race right now there is there is four four teams really a little bit clear with with two just behind in Alanya and Velez themselves behind the current uh, four who occupy the playoff positions. Now, Richard, you, you mentioned that quite a few of the top sides have uh, strengthened quite a lot, but one of which who hasn't is Krylia Sovietov. Do you think Krylia may struggle without strengthening or, or do you see them as real contenders? I still see Krylia as contenders. Um purely on the basis that Ivan Sergeyev is just um, a goal-scoring machine at that level. You know, I mean, he's hit 22 goals this season and I was watching a lot of clips last night of his um, of his goals this season for Kulia and he's just basically a perfect penalty box striker and um, basically if you've got, if there's decent wingers at Kulia, they just put the ball in the box to him and he'll score with his head. He's brilliant. He's brilliant in the air. He could score all types of headers, bog standard headers, diving headers. There's one header he scored, which is a looping header right over the keeper from right um, at the back end of the penalty box. And I think as, as long as Sergei stays fit, I think Krilia, because they've got a, a proven goal scorer at that level, they should be able to sustain their challenge. I mean, it's obviously a bit of a concern that they couldn't bring anybody in. Um, they were linked with an Icelandic player, I think. But obviously, I think they were quoted up on the foreigner limit. So it's even affecting FNL teams, never mind our PL teams. We go on about it every podcast. But um but yeah, um they've also <laughs> they've also managed to I think keep Dmitry Kabutov, who's got twelve assists for them this season. And often a lot of their goals have been Sergei of header, Kabutov assist, 
So um, they managed to keep hold of him. And, and Yegor Golenkov, too, who's the second top scorer with nine goals. So, so long as Golenkov and Sergei ever stay fit, I think Krilia will still be up there. Obviously, it's a bit of a concern. The other three teams around them, Torpedo, Orenberg and Nishni, all strengthening. But um, I think, you know, Zinkovsky's still there. I, I'm still just astonished nobody has come in for Zinkovsky. I saw links in the um, January transfer window that Vitesse Arnhem was supposedly uh, interested, but obviously nothing's come of it because he's still, he's still at Krilia. Um, so I'd be a little bit worried if I was Quillia, but then again, they got the eight players from um, from Chertanova this summer because obviously they got the the four million um, transfer fee from Sobolev, who went to Spartak. He was initially on loan and then went to Spartak in the summer, and the permanent transfer fee got deposited into the to their accounts. And then they went and got the um, the eight lads from Chertanova. So a um, bit of a concern for Quillia, but I think if as long as they keep Sergeyev, Golenkov, and probably Kab- Kabutov fit then um, I think the, the promotion challenge should be um, still be up there. But it's going to be mm-hmm. tight because the other three sides are a number of strength and so should be interesting to watch. Yeah, certainly. I think amidst, yes, they haven't strengthened, but amidst the top four, in my opinion, they have arguably some of the highest quality up there. David, who would be your uh, contenders, really, for, for the promotion race? Who are you looking forward to seeing? Um, well, I mean, the obvious ones are, are the top Top two, Krilia, Krilia, and uh, and Nizhny Nizhny are just the just so solid in defence. They've they've just first off season. It's just such an experienced squad. You know, we, we were talking just before the pod that uh, obviously in in the Feniel, um you're obliged to to play one under twenty one Russian player it has to be on the pitch at all times, other than in extreme situations like international call ups or red cards. Um, and they only had two real under 21s in their squad, which was uh, the goalkeeper Sisuev and uh, Timur Suleimanov up front on loan from Lokomotiv. So they, they every game had to play one of those two and Suleimanov tended to be the one who, who got the nod. Um, and the rest of the squad behind that is all guys who have got a lot of Feniel and in a lot of the cases who have got RPL experience. Uh, you know, these are all guys who had spent a lot of their career in the lower half of their RPL. Uh, guys like Temnikov, Sapeta, um, and they and they've been on on ridiculously good form this season. Sapeta and uh, in particular has been really good. Um, so so with the signings they've made this this January, you know guys like Yansan Goglicidze, who was from uh, Chaika, by the way, was the club you were looking for, Richard. Um, Cheers, Goglicidze, uh-huh. uh, the, the new Georgian striker as well, and, and Berkovsky. That's a big addition to the squad, though. Those four guys. Um, it should really help them some them fight for the for the title, and it's mad to think that that Carilia are second, considering the amount of goals they're scoring. Um, I think some of their early season form is to blame for that. Obviously, Sergey didn't come in until maybe five or six games into the season, which makes his record even more astounding because he at Torpedo didn't score once uh, before his move to to Carilia. So twenty two goals was in like has been in like twenty one or twenty two games. He scored like four hat tricks, I think, or something like that. Wow. Jesus. So those those guys, yeah, have been that they're gonna be the two obviously who are really fighting for it. Orenberg um have not really lost any key players this window this window, uh, and have added some depth to their squad uh, and some firepower in, in Vorobiev. So you'd fancy them to carry on the fight uh, and probably stay in the top four. Um and the same with Torpedo, obviously they have lost Bukowski, but they've added another solid defender in Kozlov and they've added a really good midfielder in Skolfek. Um, 
So those four have, have not really lost anything this window. Alania have not signed anyone uh, either and have not lost any key players from the squad. Um, their their biggest biggest threat is just they score a ridiculous amount of goals. Um, just like, well, <laughs> unlike Velez, who do play the attacking style, Alania play ultra-attacking um, and just score a ridiculous amount. They're the second-highest goal scorers in the league um, and have a very nice squad together. So um, you'd fancy them to, to keep it going. And then Velez maybe will just be the side, obviously, them and Alania there, four points off the top four, um, tied on 49 points. You, you feel Velez without Maximenko might, might be the team who drop off. Um, but you have to see. We have to see how how Stukov changes the the team in the second half of the season. He he said in that interview that he was looking to change his style, uh, maybe you know be a bit more adaptive rather than just going going all out counter attacking or all out attacking. So um, you never know. I, I think it's going to be very hard to predict. All four teams are, are looking strong, or uh, and plus Alania are looking very strong going into this final stretch of twelve games. And um, it'll be a really good, really good running. It'd be good to get some playoffs again after missing out last year. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And it sounds like uh, Ivan Sergeyev, who is a man who scores a lot with his head and quite a lot from crosses, one where it's a cross head repeat. And it basically just sounds like a poor man's Charlie Wyke. And to discuss poor men, next <laughs> is, the, is the relegation race at the bottom of the table. Now, of course, this season... Because of the added teams and in the twenty-two team Finnael season this year, uh, there is six teams to go down. And Richard, it looks pretty surefire bet that two of them you would expect at least what should be, um, because what happens in the relegation places doesn't necessarily mean that those teams are relegated in the Finnael, of course, every year. Um, Art Shinnick and Tom Tomsk on sixteen and seventeen points respectively, you think. Yeah, yeah, James, you'd like to think those two are gone. Um, I think um, it's a tough start in management for um, Sasha Kursakov, uh, Zenit and Dinamo, ex-Dinamo Zenit and Sevilla and, and Spornaya player. You know, very tough start for him management at Tom. Um, he came in and he's not really had not really had much of an impact. And yeah, Shinnick, um seems to be cut adrift as well. And they've been a Feniel fixture for many a year. But yeah, it looks like they're going to be playing in the third tier next season. Um, yeah, it's really tight with the rest of them, though. I mean, those two, Tom and Shinnick, are cut adrift, but the rest of it looks really, really tight. I mean, Chertanova were down there. They did well last season, but obviously they lost those eight players to Quirillia and, you know, are really struggling. I mean, got to be modest with them because, you know, as as they probably, you know, keep referring to themselves, they are literally a football school. You know, I think they were they were overperforming last season and, Obviously, this season it's it's been more of a struggle, but it's really tight down there. I mean, like like uh, like David was saying, Fakel had a good run. They were five unbeaten before the winter break, and now they've lost some key personnel. So they'd, they'd gotten out of the relegation zone, but obviously now, you know, there's going to be teams below them who are going to try and you know knock them back down the, down there in there. It's really fascinating the Feniel. I think you've pretty much got two tables this season in the um, in the Feniel. You've got the top six who've pulled away. It's basically six teams going for the two automatic promotion spots and the two playoff spots. And then you've kind of got three teams on 40 points who are 13 away from the drop, which are uh, Scar, Neftechemic and Baltica. And then everybody else is really could still be in a relegation fight. So I think it's going to be really close, um, with the exception of Tom and Shinnick, who have seemed to have sadly been cut adrift at the bottom. 
And David, what's your take on the relegation race so far this year? Yes, it will be a shame if Shinnick go. Obviously, they, they, as Richard said, they've been a fixture in, in this division for a long time. And I, I checked back when I was writing the articles. And I was pretty sure, but I, from what I gather, they've never played in the third tier. They've always been second tier or above. So if, if they were to go down, it would be the first time ever that they, they, they do so. Um, their manager, um, who left earlier in the season, Alexei Pobegalov, you know, he has worked at Shinnik on and off for, I think it was almost 20 years in total. Uh, and this year, you know, it just didn't work. You know, people, I remember reading near the start of the season when they were struggling, they were, the start people were saying, like ex-pros, ex-managers saying, he'll get them out of this, he'll get them out of this. And it just did not work. And they they, they replaced him um, with, uh, I think it was uh, Yuri Guzayev, the, the ex-Siska um, coach, as I recall. Uh, and even he could only mas- muster one victory before the end of the season. Uh, before the end of the, the the first half of the season, there. Um, so yeah, that be that be sad. Obviously, Dina Rebrianska are lingering in there. They they've also got a three point deduction because of their their COVID breaches, which saw a couple of their members of staff. One of them was banned for life, uh, and the other one banned for a hefty amount of time because they knowingly played players who had tested positive for COVID in a match and didn't withdraw them. Uh, so that's not ideal. But they they've been sucked down into the relegation race because of that uh, three-point deduction. Akron are there, but I, I have a feeling Akron are, are going to be okay. I think they've done well in the transfer window and they've been looking pretty solid over the over the winter break in their friendlies. Uh, I've been following them quite closely. Um, Marks Lenin, the Brazilian, looks like he might be off, off though. He's come in and uh, was, mm-hmm. was notoriously pictured as being very overweight uh, after flying in from Brazil. Um, uh, and they've signed. They've got four foreigners excluding him, so it looks like he may well not ever play a game for them after signing uh, last summer. Um, but I, I have a feeling they'll be okay. I think Fakir will, will continue to rise. Say the uh, the good form before the winter plus the addition of a Pio is is a, re- is a real boost to them. Mm-hmm. I think we could see um, Tick Stillshit getting sucked into the relegation race here uh, without a Pio. On the flip side, you know they're only three points above Fakir. And they've they've not done anything this winter to to convince me that they're going to rescue themselves. So I'd be worried about them uh, for sure. And Irtish just with with their two big losses of Maslowski and potentially Sijoy, uh, whether, whether they could sort of teeter back down is a concern. Chetanova is a shame, you know. As you said, they they lost those those that big group of players last summer, you know, who were their their pride and joy, all 20, 21, 22 years old. The, the cream of the crop over the last four years. And then this season, they've had to basically play a whole team of guys who are, for the for the bulk of it, 18, 19, 17, 16. Pinyayev played, obviously, a couple of games as a 15-year-old as well. Uh, and it's quite simply, these guys are just not experienced enough, you know. Undoubtedly, with, with more, more years, more fixtures um, and seasons together, they'll, they'll improve, you know. Uh, the crop of players like Zinkovsky, Sarvelli, um, Prutsev, who are all um, you know excellent players, were all developed and started their careers together in the PFL before they before Chetanar even came up to the to the Feniel. So I, I don't necessarily think relegation would be a bad thing for them to go down, get some PFL experience, get these seasons, uh, get this crop of players to have another full season under the belt, playing against you know guys who are pros or semi pros, experienced guys at the PFL level. Uh, I think it would be good for them. Uh, even if they do go down, um, which is looking likely. Obviously, they've also got to contend with um, UEFA Youth League in the second half of the season. They, they, they're they playing, I think, uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. 
So guys like Pinyaev, Sokolov, uh, probably won't even be in the squad for the first team. They'll be off traveling around Europe uh, for as long as the, the Chetanova team managed to stay in Europe. They could really struggle there. Uh, the two um, Premier League reserve teams, Krasnodar Dvar and Spartak Dvar, both had pretty weak seasons. Um, uh, the previous year, I think both of them were in the top top six or seven, I think. Um, and, have, and have notoriously been quite quite good in, in recent years. Uh, but Krasnodar too, too, for a long time, were in the relegation zone. Spartak too have been up and down. They're currently on at least a five-game streak without a win in, in, in the Feniel. Um, and they've lost Sylvanus Nimali, obviously departed this this winter after playing over 100 games for the for Spartak Dvar. So um, I wouldn't rule out seeing one of those drop those two clubs drop in. It depends what what um, Spartak are going to do with go with guys like uh, Ignatov and um, who's the centre half who sometimes plays with the first team. I forget his name. Gapornov. You know, if they if those guys carry on playing for Spartak two, then they'll probably be okay. Um, but if they're going to keep being dragged out and left on the bench for the first team, then Spartak 2, who also have sort of lost, you know, they've been playing a lot of 17 and 18 year olds this season too. And, you know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily rule out those two teams from getting sucked into the battle down there either. So um, it's looking tight, but at both ends of the table and it, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a real interesting end to the season here. And just before the winter break, of course, Spartak 2 even got topped 7-0 by Krasnodar 2 themselves, who were struggling at the time. Yeah, indeed. There's some quite interesting and exciting youngsters at Spartak 2, but it's like you say, they're all getting called up to the Spartak squad, especially with the with COVID and the absolutely how fast games are coming. They're, yeah. they're needed for the first team right now, even if they're just bench warmers. Yeah, Organisian um, been, had been terrific for, for Spartak 2 this mm-hmm. year. Really exciting looking winger slash attacker. I think he did get his uh, first team debut in the end uh, as a sub sub appearance. I'm pretty sure in the Premier League. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, and he he's seen less time in the in the Fenero as a result of it. You know, you get if he's going to travel with the team, then that's a game that he can't play for for Spartak too, unless obviously it's a home fixture. Home fixtures you often see them play in both. So um, so yeah, but. They're struggling, but there are some uh, some good talents coming through. Who's the there's a 17 year old as well who's who's been looking quite bright. Um, Deniso, I think his name is for Spartak too. Yeah, uh, looks looks really really solid and has played almost every minute I think for the team. So um, you know, the way is the the way is the future. Yeah, Organacion came on for Kakorin against Kimki Kimki, I believe it was in the three two win. And uh, only played the last ten minutes, but he was involved and didn't really look too out of place, which is promising for a 19-year-old coming on with only 10 minutes left in the game. But if we move on to what's been your biggest surprise so far in the FNL season, just the one team, Richard, who's been your biggest surprise so far? Um, So far, I'd probably say Vélez, because I've, I've read that um, counter-press interview, and um, apparently it says they've got one of, if not the smallest budget in the FNL. Um, and I was looking on their website earlier as well, and apparently they had goals to reach the... They were only founded in 2016, so they're a very new team. They're based down in uh, Dormo Dedeva in the south of Russia, in south of Moscow, sorry. And um, they had a target to reach the Feniel by 2019. Well, they, they got there by 2020. They were one year off with that. But they've, they've got ambitious plans. They want to reach the um, RPL by 2026. 
And um, so they, based on the current trajectory, they look on track to achieve that objective, even if I think they might, even though I do agree with David, I think they might fall away in the second half of the season because loss of um, Maximenko, a key player, obviously. Um, but yeah, considering the low budget and this is the first season at this level, I think they're probably going to have to go down as my um, surprise package. And I really enjoyed it re- reading that um, counter press piece. Mm. Um, you know, it, um, they look like a very progressive club, uh, good young manager. So and and them and Al, them and Alania too as well. I think Alania obviously. I think they they um, they obviously got promoted up to this level. Um, and playing attacking football, fifth in the league, chance of getting promoted. Obviously, they were famous in historic club. Um, so um, be nice. I, I still fancy the four teams above them, Alania. Maybe they, maybe they might fall off as well. But you know, to be up there already in the first season back at this level is um, an impressive achievement. So probably those two teams. But again, because Vale is such a new young team. And we've probably the, one of the smallest budgets in the league. I'm probably going to go with Velez as my surprise package so far. And David, who would be your most disappointing team in the season? Hmm. Hmm. Tough one, that. Um, I was thinking this over and had, I had two in mind. Chaika, personally, because at the start of the season, I, I was really thinking that they had a good enough squad to really do something this year. Uh, and most of the time, they just lacked a striker. Um of what looked like a really exciting squad. And they've even added to it. You know, they brought in uh, Ivan Alenikov, this this winzer from Shinnik, who's a really uh, good young winger, 22-year-old, um, off the, out of the Cisco Academy. Um, and they, they only sort of hit some decent form when Idris Umayev came in on loan from Akhmat and he started scoring. Um, I think he scored like six goals in like 10 appearances or something for them. Um, but, you know, we they, they went five without a win, uh, in the run into to the winter break uh, and a lingering in the bottom half of the table and I, I had personal thought personally thought that they they could they could challenge so that was that was a disappointment for me um and I think Baltica were the other they, they'd started the season really well and I, was, I had hopes you know I, we I think we all don't really want to see that stadium in Kaliningrad go to waste um and they start the season really well, and then their striker Aleph got injured, uh, and their dropping form seemed to coincide with him being injured, um, which was a shame. And they were sort of quite inconsistent before that, and they're in that now group of three teams on forty points who are not going to get relegated, but who also aren't going to get promoted. So they're firmly stuck in the Feniel for another season, um, and and for a while there, it seemed like they were really going to challenge um, for maybe for the top four. So um yeah they'd be my my two disappointments um uh, Baltica and, and Chaika. If I were to weigh in myself here, if I could pick a disappointment of not so much a team, but if it would be a team, it'd probably be Chaika as well. Um, if just for the rebranding where they changed from the classic seagull to what looks like a pair of white triangles and a blue triangle, but from more. <laughs> personal level, it's a player in particular, and it's actually Magomed Mitrushev. Uh, Mitrushev moved to Chaika on loan in August and only played twice and had just zero impact whatsoever. And I must admit, at the time, I wasn't surprised Mitrushev had made the drop the drop down a division because his impact at Ahmad in the last few years has been just been falling and falling year in, year out, and seeing less minutes. And he's now 28, so he needed to really reignite his career to an extent. But 
He's dropped down to Chica and just been disappointing and deservedly kept out of the side. Uh, but if we're going to keep on to the theme of disappointing sections of the Finnael this season, we've got a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek uh, guest section from our friends over at uh, whatever this is. And this is the official WTI Finnael frauds of 2020-21. Now, I asked Hanu and Artyom their own respective frauds prior to the podcast. <laughs> In typical fashion, they came back with some quite controversial and and quite humorous stuff. And, and, and Hanu and Artyom both believe that Chitanova are Fene El frauds because they are, in quotation marks, just shit. Um, Marks <laughs> Lennon because he didn't even play despite the hype around his name. Alexander Tashayev because of how he's played for Spartak to this season. The entirety of Bryansk and the city of Orenburg are also apparently frauds. So not just the teams, but the oh, entirety dear. of the city. <laughs> now, Autumn also I wanted to add that any team with a two at the end of their name, because reserve teams do not deserve to be in professional leagues. So I, I will agree with them. And David, Richard, David first, do you have any potential frauds to add to the list? Well, uh, it's it's a weird one to think about. I, I'll I'll join the sort of the meme side of this, and I'll go with Sergey Uran just yeah. because he believed that um, Ostanarunov couldn't be the age he said he was just because he was from Uzbekistan. Um, so, let, so let's go with Sergey Uran for that one, I think. Yeah, Uran deserves to be on any fraud list, whether it's the RPL, Finnael, or anything else. Now, I'll come come back to you both with some last little bit on the Finnael, but David, any honourable mentions that you'd like to, to get out of the chest that we may have missed earlier? Um, uh, I'll, I'll quickly mention Neftikimik. Um, they, they brought in a new manager over the winter break, uh, Novikov. The ex Dinamo coach, who you, who you know well, Richard, um, <laughs> and I, and I wonder how that 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 will develop. They also signed um, Kalugin from Sochi on a on a permanent deal, and brought in uh, and a Dinamo loanee Denisov, who Novikov had obviously worked with both back at Dinamo. Um, yeah, I saw those two transfers. So um, that that will be an interesting thing to watch in in the, in the in the spring. Sorry, to see how see how those guys get on. Um, Say I said before that I was um, wanting to give a mention to to Akron. I think their winter business has been seemingly solid. Uh, guys like um, Maxim Mirovich, who once scored for Kuban against Spartak in the in the RPL, if you if you remember that one, James. Um, <laughs> yes, and I, and I think um, they've been looking pretty solid in the um, in the winter break there. Um, the only the only other thing I wanted to mention was Said Aliyev. Oh, also coming back to relegation, um, Tambov obviously are in tatters right now, uh, and if they dissolve, it's highly likely that fifteenth, the or the club that finishes in not fifteenth, seventeenth, um, will not be relegated. So it could well be that we're left with just five relegation spots instead of six um, if Tambov dissolve during the summer, which at this point seems quite likely. Um, and related to Tambov was. Uh, Saeed Aliyev, um, who was at Velez in the first half of the season uh, and caught COVID, uh, a lot, a lot of the players who live or are based from based in uh, the south of Russia seem to caught COVID. Shapi, I remember, got it as well, um, and he was apparently suffering quite badly with long COVID and therefore barely played a game for Velez in the first half of the season, despite being 
a young sprightly he's only 22 very fast and had uh, a decent pedigree from his time at Luch. Um apparently he could go to Tambov um, who are obviously desperate for players any players at this stage uh, he may well side with Tambov apparently he's recovered from his his long COVID that he was suffering from so that'll be an interesting one to watch because I've had my eye on him since um, he was in the Angie Youth Academy, like back when he was like seventeen. Caught my eye just because of how how quick he was. Um, so I'm hoping that goes through just so we can see him in the, in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, they're they're my honourable mentions. So we could talk Finnell matters all all day, and we have tried to make a little bit of a concerted effort here at RFN Towers to focus a little bit more on the Finnell this month, and particularly during the winter break and mainly from yourself, David, instead of just sticking to the to the top flight um, all the time because Russia is a massive country and there is far more than just these 16 teams that are in the, the RPL. So if we do move from, say, Krasnodar 2 and other such reserve teams that are in the Finale to that one in particular's parent club, the first team. Now, Krasnodar themselves do return to action earlier than the rest of the RPL this week as they face Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League round of 32 first leg fixture. To quickly summarise some key news that went on at Krasnodar during the break, now the Bulls did hold two separate training camps during the winter, the first one of which was in the United Arab Emirates, and then they travelled straight after that to Marbella in Spain. They returned to Krasnodar on the 12th of February, and also actually face off against Sochi this weekend in the next round of the Russian Cup. Now behind the scenes, their assistant coach Igor Zakhariak has actually left the club, and he was replaced by Vitaly Korneyev. Now, Korneyev has worked under Murad Masayev previously, and the pair have got quite a long relationship working together. Previously, they've both coached various Krasnodar youth sides in the past, and Korneyev's actually been part of the Krasnodar coaching setup since 2011, and was most recently heading up the under-16s until his appointment to the first team. So if we come to yourself again first, David, now you've been keeping a little bit of an eye on how Krasnodar performing in some of their winter friendlies this season. Um, one in particular as well, it was a, where they played arguably rivals for Europe this season. Yeah. Um, you know, try I try as best as I can to keep abreast with, with everyone over the winter break. Um, you know, when there's no Russian football on, you just take any opportunity you can to try and try and watch a match. Uh, obviously with work and often the game's taking place during the day, it's a little bit harder. Uh, if I've got a slow work day, I can have one on my desk. Um, but Krasnodar, yeah, they they lost four nil to look uh, four. No, it was four nil. I don't think they even scored in the second half. If they did, then then it was four one. But they were four 0 down at half time to Lokomotiv. Um, they had started what you would say was almost a full strength team, barring injuries. Safonov's been out for the whole of the winter break. Uh, you know they had it, the front four was like strong, strong. It was Berg, Cabello, Anderson. Uh, and Klaassen uh, and they lost 4-0 and the clips that I saw of the goals uh, it looked like a very poor defensive performance from from guys like Martinovic and Chernov uh, looked like the goals a couple of goals came from down Chernov's wing um, so yeah that, that was very worrying you know just a few weeks before they're about to go and play in the Europa League and before the season restarts they lose heavily um, to what was not necessarily even a full strength loco team. I think it was like partially rotated. Um, so yeah, like the fact that I think Rifat Jimalikdinov scored in that game potentially was was one thing that caught me by surprise. So that wasn't so good. They did beat Rostov in another fixture, but most of the other fixtures have seen them, um, you know, rotate 
a lot of the a lot of the Krasnodar two guys are out there with them, like guys like Sabua, Spertian, etc. So they've been getting getting game time just to bolster the squad because right now they're they're suffering um, quite a few injuries, like uh, as I said Safonov, and as we discussed before, guys like Ari's out, um, Stotsky's been out for I couldn't even tell you how long, so long, which is a massive shame because he's such a likable player. Um, and then obviously in recent recent weeks, uh, Kayo looks like he's picked up a knock as well. And uh, last last week uh, we got the news that Christian Ramirez is going to be out for what seems like some some months with a, with an ACL. So looks like they're really struggling with injuries, uh, and therefore squad depth again. Obviously, we know that they like to try and fill their squad out with the young players, but um, if they're not good enough, then it's it it makes the squad depth um, not as strong as it should be. So yeah, maybe some worrying signs going into the the start of the the restart of the season, and particularly the Europa League game, where we just need as many coefficient points as possible um, from Crestar. We need we we thought Dinamo was a favourable draw considering the opponents they could have had, and it is. Uh, yeah. Obviously, ignoring the fact that they only conceded once in the group stage and comfortably got past Siska, um, but relative to what who else they could have drawn, it was favourable. Um, so we really need them to try and beat them, get to the next round, pick up as many coefficient points as possible to to make up for the last couple of years, which have been very poor. So, um, yeah, worrying, worrying signs. Yeah, and Richard has not been the largest flurry of activity in terms of transfers across the door over the winter. It's been very, very quiet, hasn't it, James? Um, they Obviously, they brought in uh, Leo Goglicidze from Chaika, um, but then they loaned him straight back to... Um, Tanishin Novgorod. Um, I mean, Goglicidze is a left back, and Ramirez, who obviously now has suffered that unfortunate injury, is a left back. But um, but yeah, obviously they loaned him back to they loaned him back to the Feniel before news of Ramirez's injury came about. But yeah, they've been very very quiet. Um, they've not brought in anybody um, of note. Um, I mean. Again, I hate to keep harking on about it and we're all getting sick of it, but once again, the foreigner limit has really hampered them because they've been linked with the top scorer in the Turkish league, uh, Bupenza, who plays for Hatay Spor. Um, but obviously, they're already at the foreign limit. He's a Gabonese striker who's scored a lot of goals in Turkey this season, uh, Bupenza. But obviously, they're at the Krasnodar at the four, eight-player foreign limit and they can't really bring in him until they've they've moved a foreigner on. And there, there was briefly talk at the middle of January of Marcus Berg maybe moving on, maybe going back to, to his homeland of Sweden. He's out of contracts in the summer, I think, but obviously nothing has come of it. And it's far too late for them now with the game being um, on Thursday for them to register a new player. They've already submitted their squad. So obviously, no, it's, it's too late to do anything about that now. So they're probably just going to have to go with what they've got. Um, Ramirez is, is a blow because he is one of Krasnodar's best players, I think. Um, I mean, I'm still thankful that it wasn't Cabela who got that injury or Safanov or Martinovic at, at the back. But but Ramirez behind those two or three is, is in the next batch of key players for Krasnodar, uh, along, alongside Berg, I would probably say. Um, it's going to be an interesting tie because yeah, like, mm. I echo what David was saying, you know, when, when the draw was made, it could have been worse for Krasnodar. Um, Dinamo Zagreb obviously showed in the group stages that you know, they got through a group with Feyenoord and and um, Suska, which was was a surprise to me because they'd lost a few players over the um, last couple of seasons. And um, you know, I wasn't you know, Danny Olmo being the most uh, noteworthy one, but yeah, they got a strong defence. 
uh, anchored, of course, by uh, 19-year-old wonder kid um, Gavardiol, who's already signed for RB Leipzig for next season. You know, to replace um, Deo Upamecano, who's gone to to uh, Bayern just recently. Well, for next season, so they've already, um, you know, shows the talent that they've got from their academy there. Um, so it's going to be a tough game. Obviously, they showed against Siskar and and the other teams in that group that they're a good side, Dinamo, and they're already a month back after their winter break. They've already been playing competitive football for a month. So it's that old story again. Can the Russian teams after the winter break get up to speed quickly? Because you know they're coming against a team here who have already played five, six, seven competitive games after the winter break. So. Yeah. Tough, tough, but passable, but tough, I would say. Yeah, of course, Dinamo Zagreb, for those who don't really know much about the H- H&L, um, they have a winter break, but it's just just over a month long from uh, the second week of December to the second week of January. Um, very much unlike the, the Russian one due to the meteorological conditions over here. Now, I will quickly have both really alluded to it, but I will quickly just pass over some of the injuries just to condense them into down into one. And of course, as mentioned, Dmitry Stotsky still out with a long-term injury. Uh, Christian Ramirez joins him on the sidelines, who both definitely missed the match. Uh, Ramirez with that cruciate ligament injury that will keep him out for the season. And then there are a couple of doubts. Uh, Matveya Safonov, as David mentioned, uh, not actually played uh, any of the friendlies whatsoever, but he is, according to sources and rumours in, in Krasnodar, set to be available for the match and if that's the case that is a huge boost for them uh, while Ari and Kayo have been reported as doubts now Ari has not played a single minute at all since December the 5th where he went off with a hamstring injury in the 5-0 win over Rotter uh, he scored two goals, one of which a penalty and then got taken off at half time now Kayo has been injured on and off since then he, but he has also picked up minutes in half of Krasnodar's winter friendlies uh, we will get more concrete information on these players' availability on Wednesday afternoon when Murad Masayev and the young Shapi Suleimanov alongside him face the press in Prasnodar. So, Richard, you've already alluded to Gvardival being one of your key men to focus on. So, David, each one from each team, who would, do you think could be some of the key men in this tie? Uh, well, it's got to be Cabela um, for Krasnodar. We know from the group stage that he was a make or break player. You know, if, if Vanderson had been fitter for longer, you, you'd be saying him because at the start of the season, he was, he was so good. He was like, as we said, at, at promise levels. Um, but Cabela looked, looks like he can be a real game winner. Um, so for Krasnar, definitely, definitely Cabela, if he's playing well on the night, then they're going to be creating chances and they're going to be getting, getting, getting in and around the box. So, um, yeah, really, really come out of Krasnar and for for Dinamo. Obviously, we we all caught them play against Siska twice in the in the Europa. Uh, we we can't ignore the fact they have got a, an amazing defense. Um, but I'll, I'll go and pick uh, Lovro Meyer, who uh, young midfielder who who was up there as one of the best chance creators in the, in the Europa League. At uh, the top was actually Nikola Vlasic, interesting enough. You know, considering how poor Kras, uh, Siska's record was at scoring, he was creating all the chances, which I think was something we all observed at the time. They were having loads of chances, but just not scoring any. Mm. Uh, but Lovrimaya picked up three assists um, and, and was one of the top 10 chance creators in the in the group stages. So uh, going forward, he's going to be the man, um, you know, trying to make things tick over for, for Dino. But based on the on the matches with Siska, they're going to be 
sitting deep. That's what they did uh, in Moscow. They sat deep, just def- defended hard. You know, Siska had real chances to score that game. Um, goalkeeper just made some good saves, and Siska spurned some easy chances. And then in the reverse fixture, it was just set pieces and counter attacks, which which did Siska over. Uh, I think they lost three 0 in that one. Um, so yeah, it, it it looks like um, it could be some tough games, but Crestor have got the playmakers to to potentially unlock that defence in Cabela, Clarkson, and and Randerson. So you know, I still give them a shot if they're if they're on there playing on playing on form on the day. Yeah, certainly. Dinamo Zagreb are quite an interesting side for Krasnodar to face because when you look at the rest of the draw, it does seem, on the very face of it, quite a a kind and favourable draw to Krasnodar. However, (laughs) Dinamo have got a very, very good defence. They had one of the best defences in the entirety of the Europa League. I believe they only conceded one goal in the group stages so far this season, in the group stages. Um. In previous years, I wouldn't be so worried about Krasnodar having to really break down pack defences. That was one of their big, big benefits and one of their big adv- uh, big strengths of previous years. But especially during the time when they were playing two games every three, two games a week every three days and so on, uh, Krasnodar really did struggle to break sides down. Now they lost against Ahmad, they lost against Kimki, both away from home. And Ahmad and Kimki in those games did sit deep, soak up as much pressure as possible, and then break on the counter exactly how like Dinamo will will play. Now I expect Krasnodar's quality to hopefully come through at some point if if they can get firing. Of course, it's been a very long time without any real competitive football for them. But it, these these losses in the first half of the season, like I say, with Kimki, Ahmad, uh, Dinamo. Where it was one or two goal losses in very close games, but all against sides who sat deep and countered. Richard, what do you think about Krasnodar's chances against Dinamo and perhaps any key men for the Bulls? Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll echo about Remy Cabella because, as I said last week on the um on the chat, that um he's you know when he came back, sorry on the podcast last week when he came back. Um, into Krasnodar's team um, halfway through the group stages last time, uh, last um, before the winter break, he was um, the key driving force into him getting through. You know, his experience proved um, absolutely vital in that um, home win against Wren. So I'm going to go Kabea. I think Wanderson hopefully as well. I mean, he's a, he's an explosive player. When he gets on form, as we were saying at the start of the season, he was on he was on fire. Uh, hopefully he can. After an Iceland winter break, he can um, be fresh and rediscover that that form from early on in the season. As Echo Martinovic, I think it's going to be very very important because um, you know, especially if Kyo is not going to be fit, because you know it's going to mean Yegor Sorokin going alongside um, Martinovic, and um, Martinovic is going to have to anchor that defence, especially in absence of Ramirez as well. Uh, Safonov's going to be key, um, and then Klaas, and yeah, th- those are pretty much Krasnodar's go-to players. I mean, they could take heart from the fact that in that first game that Siskar played against Dinamo, even though Siskar didn't win, they totally outplayed Dinamo in that game and they had tons and tons of chances, as we've just mentioned, just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. Um, so, you know, hopefully Krasnodar won't be as wasteful. Uh, hopefully uh, Berg will have his shooting boots on, Cabela will create some chances, Klaassen and uh, Vanderson on the flanks. Uh, we'll um, also get in behind and get some crosses in, get some balls in, 
get service to the strikers. Just interesting about Dinamo Zagreb as well. Um, a couple of other names in their squad that are noteworthy to me. They brought in in the winter break Stefan Ristovsky, a Macedonian uh, right back from Sporting Lisbon in Portugal. Um, he was deregistered. I think he might have had a fallout with the coach there. He didn't play in the first half. I've seen the top of the Portuguese league, and they brought they brought him in. Um, there's a face familiar to former Cardiff to, to Cardiff City fans. Kevin Fiafal Kafarin uh, is in their defence. Um, they've also got the Croatian number one keeper, I think, Dominic Livakovic. So um, they've been shopping in Scandinavia. Rasmus Lauritsen, um, a Danish centre half, they brought in from uh, Norrköping. So uh, there's um, a few names there. Uh, Myers, obviously, like uh, like David said, is going to be a, a key player for them. Um, a creative midfielder. Um, I'm looking forward to this tie. I think um, Krasada can beat um, Dinamo, but first leg is key. They've got to. They've. Give, I think to have any chance, they've got to take um, something with them to um, Zagreb. They've got to win the first leg. I think if the if they can't, if they draw or lose the first leg, I think it's going to be very very difficult to turn it around in Zagreb because yeah. the Maximir Stadium is quite um, quite fortress both for Dinamo and for the Croatian national team. So you'd think they're going to have to make use of that first leg. And um, it'd be interesting to see how they juggle the cup game in between as well, because the Crest are obviously playing the cup at the weekend and then the second legs um, next week. So if Krasnodar do well in the first leg against Dinamo and take a lead to Zagreb, how do they approach the cup? Do they sacrifice the cup this year and concentrate on the league and probably trying to get through a Europa League run? It's going to be a fascinating uh, juggling act, let's just uh, juggling act, let's just say. Yeah. And Dinamo Zagreb are one of those Eastern European clubs who are basically they're in the Champions League or Europa League year in year out. They win their own their own league every single year, and because of that, they've got an extraordinary amount of experience at this level. And that experience at this level, I mean, a lot of Krasnodar. I mean, yes, it's a young side, and and Krasnodar themselves have got an abundance of ex- recent experience in the Europa League, which they didn't have in the first half of the season in the Champions League group stages. But if you look at Dinamo Zagreb's statistics and data from last season, in the HNL, they both attempted the most and completed the most lateral passes per 100 passes in their in their um, national championship and completed the least and attempted the least long passes per 100 in the league. When you flip that onto the international stage or the European stage, it's the complete opposite. It's the far more direct and the far less likely to try and play a lateral, to try and play it out from the back. What Dinamo Zagreb are is they're very much like Savena uh, Zvezda, like Partizan from Serbia, the, the, and, and Ludogorets, they and Fering Valos. They use their experience at this level and their know-how of exactly how to approach these games. And I just feel like their approach is definitely going to be a stubborn one that's going to ask Krasadar a lot more questions than perhaps a lot of people expect. And we're really seeing that in the in the Siska game early on in the season. Like you said, David Vlasic is one of the highest creators in the Europa League this season. But he, Siska still couldn't score. Now, Krasadar's final quality in the final third is, is more than Siska's, and especially Siska's at the time before strengthening with Solomon Rondon, of course. So... To, to move on to some predictions, I'm, pro- I'm perhaps going to predict that this may not be the happiest of games for Krasnodar. They haven't played in three months' time, and Dinamo are, are really are no, no mean feat. 
So, guys, avoiding scores, just, David, what's your prediction? Do you think it could be a good night for Krasnodar? Just the first leg or or, or overall? Just the first one for now. Um, they're at home in first leg, right? Yeah. Mm, I think they can win at home. Um, if it's going to be, if the game's going to play out anything like the Siska game did, the, the Siska home game, then Krasnodar will have a lot of the ball in and around the box. Um and you fancy them just to be a little bit more clinical if they're really on it. So um, I'm going to back them to to win the home fixture, but it will be tight. And Richard, what do you think? I'll probably agree with David in the home fixture. Um, I'm going to actually go 2-1 Krasnodar. I think the most I've will score, though. And I'm going to go 2-1 Krasnodar. I'll try and be optimistic. Um, <laughs> just hoping I've not put the, uh, the kiss of death on them. <laughs> Yeah, I think the most optimistic that I get at this point of the season is probably goalless draw at the very best for me. I just think it's <laughs> going to be a very, very low-scoring game. Krasnodar, um, yes, they haven't. aside from that 4-0 local loss, they haven't actually lost a game in any competition since the end of November. Now, yeah, they haven't played since the end of December. But um, anyway, they, they're in decent form. Uh, they're getting stronger, and it looks like they are hopefully going to kick on for the second half of the season, for them anyway. And probably for Russian football as a whole, to be quite honest. But I just think that Dinamo Zagreb are, are very, very well organised. And these eight games that they've got on Krasnodar are just going to be a lot. Really going to count for a lot on the night. And I'm just, my pessimistic hat on, always looking back to every single time we see a team play well in the first half. in, Or at least do, do well enough in the first half of the European stages. Then the winter break comes, the three-month break, and then they come back, and it looks like they haven't played with each other for three months because that's exactly what they've done. So I, I won't quite share the optimism, to be to be honest, but I, I do hope I'm proven wrong and I can eat my hat in two weeks' time. Now, you can't catch, catch the Krasadar game on the usual channels on TV, but if you do want to partake in a, in a new service that we'll be offering through RFN here, and it's basically just a, a discussion during the game that'll be hosted by Hanu and Artem of whatever this is in the, in the YouTube channel, and on on Clubhouse, um, you can some of the other RFN writers will be popping in and, in and out throughout too. So, if you want to join in with that, get in touch with us on Twitter. It's Russ Football News or with Hanu and Artem themselves. On the site this week, we'll have one last follow up piece from the on the Finnell from David, and that is a, a, a list a, a scouting of players that that could possibly make the step up. And our full preview for the game and some opinion pieces as usual will be will be coming up on the site. We've got a few existing guests to come on the pod in the immediate future, so keep an eye out for that, as well as some returning old favourites, but unfortunately no spoilers right here. And David, your Twitter handle? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RFN underscore David. And Richard? You can find me on Twitter at, at RichDPike89, at RichDPike89. This has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.